Today's gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 16. From that time on, after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God, forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their lives will lose it, and those who lose their lives for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what he has done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Here ends our reading. Let us pray. Eternal God, we come today from hearing a lot of difficult news. Every week, it seems, our news is difficult, but this week especially caused so much heartache, so much human loss and disaster, so much sacrifice on the the, the part of volunteers. And we um, sometimes need to be reminded that we are so fortunate. There is no rhyme or reason why the rain falls where it does, but we have been spared such a tragedy, and our life goes on. But help us, Lord, to remember those who are hurting now in Texas and Louisiana and Nashville and all through the South, for they are up against months and years of recovery and need. Help us not to grow weary in well-doing, whether it be there or each and every day. Use us. Open our hearts. Let us be the ones who send. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me to go to serve you and to bring to light the love of our Lord Jesus Christ and all he has given us and continues to give each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a lot of vetting going on nowadays. Vetting. Webster's Dictionary would describe this as to subject to expert appraisal or correction, to evaluate. The term is used, as you know pretty well, in mostly a political sense when in search of candidates to run for Washington, D.C. jobs, cabinet positions staffing the White House, ambassadors, Congress, or members even of heads of corporations are vetted. As we know, it's an examining process through investigation of someone's character, their business dealings, criminal background checks, and in the short list of contenders, no one wants to have their life put out on the television for breaking news because of something horrible that has been discovered about them, a scoop. Well, the Apostle Paul, in today's uh, writing in Romans, is vetting, in some ways, 
the future community, the followers of Jesus Christ. He's concerned about their ability to rise to be, uh, to be the apostles of Jesus Christ. And this time, the screening event for those in the Christian community is, uh, is something that he has listed in his, in his writings to the Romans. They should have behavior and the mindset that will display to all the world that they are capable of being the running mates with Christ. We are all called to be running mates with Christ in order to win the fight of good over evil in our world. And on Labor Day weekend, this passage in Romans calls us to be proper labors of love and to fulfill the church's mission wherever we are. That mission is to so embody the characteristics of our Lord Jesus that we draw others to him like a magnet, and his saving work on earth gets done. Paul has had some pretty bad experiences with church communities. He's established, as you know. They often end up at war within, judging each other, competing with each other, abusing the sacraments, backbiting in ways that tear down the fabric of community. It's such bad behavior, as you understand, that mars the hospitable haven the church needs to be to grow and reach out. As you know, visitors who come among us, and they are coming even on Labor Day, need to see in this new community they're looking at a sense of purpose, of love, of devotion, of gentleness, compassion, a hospitable haven, in other words. And so, hopefully, when we are vetted as a congregation, we will be a place that is personally and corporately inviting and reflects Jesus Christ. In the Message Bible, in the translation, the more modern translation of Romans, it says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. I like that one. It's not easy to practice playing second fiddle. Help needy Christians and others and be inventive in hospitality, says the writing. Inventive in how you welcome people and serve them. The next list, starting in verse 14, tells how to respond in the face of hard challenges and personal attacks on your life. And Paul writes, Then it is you bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Don't hit back. Discover the beauty in everyone. Don't insist on getting even. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. An interesting tidbit in ancient history, I stress ancient history, is it was a custom apparently in Jewish synagogues to curse their enemies in the daily prayer circle at worship to curse their enemies at worship. So Jesus' words of warning has extra heft to the traditions of his day, where he says to stop cursing those who persecute you, but to live peaceably with all. Now, we not only have a quality of life to exhibit in God's house and our worship 
life together and meetings and youth group and Sunday school. But we also have a calling as individual members. You know that. We individually must leave this place and carry forward with us everywhere the heart of Jesus. How do we do that? Betty Meadows, a leader in the Presbyterian Church, once took a sabbatical from her churchy life and went undercover, as she called it, undercover to work at a waffle house as a waitress. To her surprise, the risen Christ showed up every day at the waffle house. A van broke down in the parking lot on the 4th of July, carrying a family from Alabama. No garage mechanic could be found. A waitress heard of their plight, called her boyfriend. He arrived 15 minutes later and fixed their van for the price of a cup of coffee. I think that's probably a pretty good deal, knowing how expensive it can be to fix your van. The risen Christ is in the midst of the mechanic's life and the waitress, writes Betty. Then a lawyer set up shop in the Waffle House, offering legal help to the needy in the community for whatever they could pay or for no payment, no payment at all if they couldn't afford it. Day after day, writes Betty, this lawyer sat at a table smoking his cigar, meeting client after client, turning no one down. The risen Christ is in the lawyer at the Waffle House. It would be a good exercise for Labor Day to see how many gracious acts of kindness and discipleship like these we could list this week as evidence of Christ's spirit thriving despite our international conflict and terror we see on the news all the time. Hurricane Harvey captivated our souls this week. So many average citizens or saints of every tribe and race just stepped up to help. Hundreds put their life on the line and strangers in need, for strangers in need. Did you see the news coverage of a large black woman who was a gospel singer? She had a smile that would light up your world and went around just singing gospel songs in the shelters wherever she could find someone to listen. And she had her buddy with her who also sang. Her smile brought hope in the darkest of hours and the message of the gospel shone through her. Or there were daily images, as you know, of rescuers carrying elderly residents in their arms, wading through waist-deep, dirty floodwaters, including cats and dogs and carriers to load onto helicopters. These servants of Christ, or servants of Yahweh, or servants of Allah, or the Great Spirit, did not check anyone's ID badges, or the color of their skin, or their religious preferences when they came to rescue them. In this crisis, Love and service was given to all without second thought. And many, many millions of dollars of aid has been shared. Even Hollywood stepped up with many millions of dollars trying to outdo each other. Relief concerts are on the way. And it has been an outpouring of free love 
CBS News commentator Steve Harvey had a fabulous news clip about the chain of diverse humanity that worked to save lives this week. If Tad is ready, I hope we can roll this particular clip for you to see. The disaster here in Houston has touched hearts all over the country. Donations are approaching a quarter of a billion dollars. And we end the week with Steve Hartman's thoughts about the spirit of America. This week, we saw what trillions of gallons of water can cover. But more importantly, we saw what it can uncover, our potential as a nation. I know it seems like eons ago, but remember what was in the news before this? Remember when nothing was more important in America than the fate of a Confederate statue? We were literally at each other's throats over race, religion, immigration, and of course, politics. And then Harvey came and pounded us with perspective. When the roof over your head becomes the floor beneath your feet, no one cares about the color or creed of his rescuer. No one passes judgment because a hero's boat is too big or his means are too meager. No one says, thanks for the rope, but I'd rather wait for someone more like me. Thank you, I appreciate it. And later, when they find themselves on the business end of a dump truck with nothing but the soggy shirt on their backs, I'm guessing no one ever thinks he's better than the person suffering next to him. A lot of people in Texas and Louisiana lost everything, but they are rich with perspective tonight and blessed with a new and priceless appreciation of their community. If everyone did this, we'd have a lot less to worry about. From the start of the storm, the volunteer rescuers were Harvey's silver lining. They risked their lives. Some even lost their lives in service to their neighbors. Continue helping people. We're going to go save some more lives, help some more people. This guy spoke for many. Spirit of Texas, that's what it's all about. But I do take slight issue with that last part. I think most Americans are heroes, just waiting for their moment. And if Harvey taught us anything, it's to be grateful for every last one of them. Which brings me to this rescue in Houston. These people were trying to save someone from a sinking car. I don't know who these folks are, but I do know this. If you took out a Christian, took out a Democrat, an immigrant, a Republican, Muslim, or Jew, remove any link in this brave chain of Americans, the whole group is adrift and a piece of humanity is lost. In this case, the chain held. When Mother Nature is at its worst, human nature is at its best. The challenge will be, as the floodwaters recede, will we still be able to love at these same record levels? Steve Hartman, CBS News, New York. That's the American way, and that's the CBS Evening It's a powerful clip. <clears throat> After I've seen it six times, it still brings tears to my eyes to see what the potential is for us as apostles of God. I'll close with um, a short story. It is about, um, it's called The Hermit's Gift. The Hermit's Gift. There once was a monastery that fell on hard times. Centuries earlier, it had been a thriving, thriving community with influence in the whole realm but now it was down to just five monks, all over 70 years old. It was a dying order. 
A few miles from them lived a hermit, and the five monks went to him for advice and how to save the monastery. They all sat in his little hut, and the hermit commiserated with them. Yes, I understand how it is, he said. The spirit has gone out of the people. Is there anything we can do, the monks asked. No, only that one of you is an apostle of God. The monks were confused and disappointed with this cryptic statement, but they began to wonder which one was possibly the apostle of God. They assumed it was the abbot. It would have to be. Certainly, none of the rest of us is one. We are too old, insignificant. He couldn't have meant Brother Thomas, a holy man of wisdom and light. Or maybe, maybe Brother Elred. No, he's crotchety at times and difficult to reason with. On the other hand, he's almost always right. Each monk asked themselves, he couldn't have meant me. I'm too ordinary. I couldn't be that much for you all, for Jesus. As they contemplated in this manner, the monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect on the chance that one of them might really be the apostle. This new respect and joy they had within the monastery began to radiate outside of it, and people were strangely attracted to the place, and even young men began to come. Friends began to came, and they had picnics and parties on the lawn around the place. After a while, the monks began to ask the young men who had come to join them. And within a few years, the monastery had once again become a thriving order in the realm, thanks to the hermit's gift. Let us continually vet our community and our world, remembering Paul's words, love from the center of who you are. Run for dear life from evil. Practice playing second fiddle. Help the needy and be inventive in hospitality now and every day. Because each one of you, each one of us, is an apostle of God from the day of our baptism. Amen.